Good morning. I have Jess and Marie in the room here with me. So to, to provide a little bit of interaction, somebody to laugh at my jokes so I know whether they land or not. Not that that's going to stop me or change anything. I'm still going to tell them, but I do have them here in the room with me. And um, Jess is right. One of my favorite things is social distancing. I've been doing it for many, many years. So I am, I've, well, I've rehearsed for this. I'm ready for the situation we're in. I'm also, just so you know, uh, she talked about how, how um, the best way to connect with us was on social media. Um, the best way to connect with her and with Marie is on social media. <laughs> I also practice social media distancing. It's, it's not that I'm an introvert. It's just that I want to take what we're being instructed to do and do it all the way. So, so I'm just distancing in every way. That's not really true. Um, but I'm glad you're here with us this morning. This is the kind of technology I really like and the ability for us to, even though we can't get together physically, to be able to meet in this way is pretty amazing. And as we start in a brand new series today, teaching series, I want to ask you a question. Seriously, why are you here I don't mean like, this is not like a philosophical question, why are you here in the world? Uh, that's, that, somebody else can answer that, um, or we'll answer it on another day. Why are you watching this video? It's, what is it, what time is it? 10? 1022. 10, 10, 10.22 right now. You could be sleeping right now. You, it's not a little late. It's not late for me. You could be sleeping right now. You could be out playing golf. You know, you can still go play golf right now. You could be playing golf. You could be going out to pick up Panera, who has speedy service and delicious food. You could be going, you could, why are you watching this video? Why are you watching it live? You know, this is still going to be on YouTube because it's on the internet. So it's on the internet forever. You know, it's still going to be here at one o'clock this afternoon. Why didn't you watch this afternoon? I have an answer to that. It's the fire pit effect. It's because there is something different about all doing the same thing at the same time, even if we're not in the same place. The fire pit has a strong effect. And so we're, we're doing this series called The Fire Pit Effect. It's actually based on a series that I did with another church years ago. And I loved the concept of it. And I loved the title of it. I am rewriting the messages for, for, these, for this series. But there's something special that happens around the fire pit. Am I right? Yeah, right. we got one that's got a little... Dennis has a guess of what it is. Of what is? Okay. What did Dennis say? He said community. Community. Oh, yes, we're going to get there. I'll tell you what, our neighbors were having some community. I don't know if you're watching this today, but they had a fire going on last night. And to the end of the, the hours of the night, I'm laying in bed and listening to them, and I don't have a problem with it because, hey, you can have fun and hang out with some friends. Have, have fun and hang out with some friends. But I'm laying in bed, and I'm, all of a sudden I hear a wagon wheel. And I was like, oh, man, we're, real, we're going back for this. We're going back for this. But they were having a great time around the fire. And I'm telling you, you know, right, something special happens around a fire. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the, the crackle of the flames or just kind of getting lost. Maybe somebody brings their guitar. Or maybe somebody brings some stuff for s'mores. But, man, there's a sense of community and connection that happens around the fire that you just don't get anywhere else. And I know some of you might be thinking, well, wait a second, John, are you just trying to make us all feel bad? Because with the way things are right now, we're not supposed to go over to other people's houses. We're not supposed to gather in groups of people. We're not supposed to have a fire. I know, I know, but I actually think this is the perfect time to be talking about this because I think that now more than ever in our lives, I know this is true for me, 
we're realizing how valuable relationships are because it's kind of it's kind of that old adage, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And now that we can't just go over to someone's house and light a fire and, and sit around it, and or at least we're not supposed to, uh, it changes things. It changes the way we look at it. And, e- and even a socially distanced, socially media distanced introvert like myself, I just want to go out and hang out with some friends, quite frankly. And so what we're going to do in this series, Dennis already said it, the fire pit effect is about community. But we are not just talking about friendship. Because you can find friendship a lot of different places. We're talking about something deeper, something more important, something that in the church we call fellowship. Fellowship is better than friendship. It's deeper than friendship. Because along with fellowship comes an idea of oneness, singularity, and unity. That when we fellowship with people, it's not just about hanging out and having a good time. It's not just about having things in common with them or sharing great experiences. It's about having a unity and a oneness together. And frankly, we can experience that in the comments on YouTube, whether we're together or not. Although I do, I would agree probably with all of you, it's better when we're physically there together. Part of the reason we gather as a church. So to understand how we're going to develop this kind of fellowship or where it comes from. We're going to study a book from the New Testament called Galatians. It's actually a letter, and it's written by the Apostle Paul. We're going to do this a little differently than we did John. So at the beginning of the year, we went through the Gospel of John, and we went through it chronologically. But that's because it's a historical narrative. John is telling us what happened to Jesus, and so reading it in order makes a whole lot of sense. And so we walked through it as a timeline, just like John lays it out as a timeline. A letter like Galatians that Paul writes is not necessarily a historic sequence of events. It is concepts that he wants to teach or say to this particular church, or or it's actually a group of churches. And so we're not going to do it in chronological order. We're going to study the book of Galatians thematically. We're going to look at some of the big things that Paul talks about to this church these churches in the region of Galatia. And so that's the way we're going to study it. So if you have your Bibles and you turn to the book of Galatians, then we're going to be jumping around a little bit. So just be ready to do that with us. I already mentioned this, but Paul writes this letter, not to one church, but to a group of churches in an area called Galatia. There was a, a Roman province called Galatia, and there was a northern part of it and a southern part of it. He's most likely writing to the churches in the southern part of Galatia, not the northern, because, I guess I should say, this is, I'm going to give you a history nerd alert at this point, okay? So for those of you who don't care about history, although history is important to understanding scripture, okay? But for those of you who kind of space out on this, I'm giving you permission for a moment if you want to. But those of you that are history nerds like me, you're going to love what we're about to talk about. But there was, Paul went on three missionary journeys that we're aware of, these travels that he went on in his ministry. And in all three of those journeys, he went through Southern Galatia. So this was an area he was very familiar with. He probably helped get the church started there if, in fact, he didn't start the church himself. And so, he knew these people pretty well. He went through there a lot. It's, it's like right smack dab in the middle of modern-day Turkey, maybe a little southwest of the center part of Turkey. And 
this this is where the history nerd alert comes in because I love this stuff and some of you don't love this stuff. Yeah, I, if you can look up a map, by the way, uh, if you want to, and I bet, like my Bible, I think it's got one. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to be able to see this, all right? But in my Bible, there's a map of Paul's missionary journeys and... Galatia is right here. It's the blue one in my Bible. I don't know if it's the blue one in yours. If you have a Bible like that, or you can Google it, all right? But uh, Or you could Bing it. Oh, Bing, Bing. I think it's Microsoft's, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's the Bing is still a thing. I know I would tell you to Netscape it. That would really show my age. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, Galatia. Here's Now, this is, this is the history stuff. You ready? The reason that it's called Galatia is because it was settled by a group of people called the Gauls, Galatia. The Gauls were of Celtic origin. If you're from Boston, you would say Celtic origin, but it's actually Celtic origin. So you think of um, Western Europe, Druids, Stonehenge, all of that sort of stuff. And that is the background that they were coming out of. The Gauls moved down through Central Europe into Eastern Europe, trying to take over their own world, of course. And they got stopped about halfway through what we know now as Turkey. And they settled in this region. So the Romans called it Gaulatia because it's where the Gauls were. And the Gauls hated the Romans. Because the Gauls wanted to take over everything. And so, though they settled here, there were several uh, attempts to overthrow the Roman government heading into Greece and into Rome, into it, what we know as Italy now. So they, they tried to take over. So you need to understand that these are people who generally come out of a very pagan background with uh, witchcraft and sacrifice and guilds and all of this sort of stuff. And they hate the Romans. Now, the problem here, one of the problems, is that Paul is a Roman. So he is already behind the eight ball when it comes to these folks, even though he's been through there many times, even though he's helped set up the church churches in this area. And it is written, it's a letter that's meant to be circulated among multiple churches in this region. And so he's already got his, his back up against the wall in a way, but he earns their trust to begin with. What happens is that Paul sets up the church, he teaches them the truth, he goes away, and other people come in and start teaching this church things that are not consistent with the truth. And now these people already have a foothold because everyone else who's there, the Gauls, are probably skeptical of Paul already. And so apparently they start believing this false teaching that's brought in. That's the reason that Paul writes the letter to the Galatians. He wants to set some things straight, and he actually spends the first couple chapters just defending himself and his ministry, and saying, my ministry's not from me, my ministry is from God, here's what happened. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time in the first couple chapters of Galatians for that reason, but he's defending his ministry to the Galatians and setting himself up and saying, yes, I am an authority, and you should listen to what I'm about to say. And then he proceeds to straighten out the misconceptions that have been laid onto these churches that they've been buying. And they're very important for us to understand because we could easily make the same mistake that they made. So we just came out of this whole series on the book of John, so where we learned about Jesus from his perspective, and we've learned to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And John says that by believing that Jesus is the Christ, we might have life in his name. That means eternal life, but it also means we get to experience life now. So what we're going to learn in Galatians is how 
to fight off some of those misconceptions that might even get into our church today and how to focus on what is most important. And that's where Paul starts in Galatians chapter 1, verses, uh, we'll start in the middle of verse 2. And Paul says, to the churches of Galatia, so again, that's a region, it might be five, six, seven, eight churches, whatever it is, every little town had a, had a church. Three, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, you might read this introduction that Paul has at the beginning of his letter, and he does an introduction at the beginning of all of his letters, but understand that his introductions are very intentional. He chooses how he introduces himself and the blessing he gives at the beginning to set us up for everything else that's going to come in the letter. All right? In a way, think of it's the old, it's an old, it's like a sandwich letter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like start, off good. start off good. Let's get to the hard stuff, and then we're going to end good. You know, so it's the sandwich. And uh, if you're going to have a hard conversation, great way to go, by the way, very effective. Um, but he starts off, and what we can see is that Paul's intent is for them to understand that Jesus, Jesus is central to what is happening central to his message, and that that will deliver us from this evil age, only Christ. And so that sets us up for where we're going after this. Uh, Now, they have a problem inside of their church, and where this issue has come from is the fact that within their church, they have people who are Jewish, and a lot of these people that are traveling around and teaching are, are previously Jews or are Jewish, And then they have what we call Gentiles. Gentiles are anyone who is not a Jew. Now, here's the problem. Jews grew up believing that they had to follow the law, which meant, well, for one thing, and and we're going to talk about this, so I'm just throwing it out there. PG-13 alert, okay? The Jews, in order to identify themselves as Jewish, the men, of course, would be circumcised when they're uh, at a young age, that would identify. And so often in scripture, you'll hear them talking about circumcision. We are of the circumcision. They are not of the circumcision. What are they talking? It's, it means that they're Jewish. So that was one of the laws. They had to do things like keep the Sabbath, which means not working on the Sabbath. They had to keep the Ten Commandments. I'm, you're probably familiar with those or at least some of them. Uh, they had to keep the feasts and the festivals, things like the, the Passover feast and the Feast of Booths, which we've talked about in the previous series. And so they fo- grew up following all these rules, or 400 of them, all these rules that they had to follow. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus comes, he gives his life on the cross, and he rises again. He ascends back to heaven. The church is left essentially in the hands of people who are empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, the church is then opened up to anyone, whether you're Jew or Gentile. Problem is you've got all these people who have had these rules their entire lives, and they're trying to figure out what do we do with these rules. Now, Peter, who's one of the leaders of the church, has a tremendous vision where he sees this cloth come down out of heaven, and, and God tells him, take and eat, and they're things that were unclean in the Jewish law, but God said, take and eat. And uh, that was a sign of what was happening overall, that Christians who believe in Jesus, who have put their faith in him for salvation, 
do not have to keep the law in order to be justified or made right before God. This creates a real problem when you've got all these people who have spent their entire life following all these rules, and all of a sudden you tell them, hey, all these other people get to be a part of the church, but they don't have to keep those rules. That, that's created some serious issues. And so what you had was now you had Jewish teachers who were going around to these churches, they're called Judaizers, were going around to these churches and were telling Gentiles, yes, you can be a part of the church, but essentially you have to become Jewish first. So you have to be circumcised and you have all these rules that you need to follow. And I'm sure the Gentiles were like, I don't like that. I don't think that, I don't like that idea. But there was even there was disagreement even among the the apostles. Like Peter, Peter was accused of of behaving differently with different groups of people. Like when he was with the Jews, he would act like Jews. When he was with the Gentiles, he would act like Gentiles. He wasn't being consistent in what he was doing. So this created a real problem. Paul addresses that in chapter two, uh, Galatians chapter two, verse fourteen. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter before them all, so Paul calls out Peter, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? So essentially, Peter, if you could eat bacon, why are you telling the Gentiles they can't? Why why would you do that? You're not being consistent in your message, and it's causing a lot of confusion. We, verse 15, who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified, listen to this, this is really important, this is, and this is the key to what he's, all, he's going to talk about, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. See, these people, the Jews particularly, had grown up their whole life thinking, errantly I might add, that they would be justified by how closely they kept the law. The sacrifices, the feasts, the rules, that they were justified by their works which Frank wasn't even true. They weren't justified by their works. They were justified by faith, but they thought they had grown to believe that their works were what were going to justify them. So they had a really hard time letting go of that when this message from Paul and this message from the apostles, this message from Jesus comes through that you're justified by faith in Jesus, that it is believing in Jesus that saves you, not your behavior, good or bad. That was really hard for them to swallow. And so they just kept trying to add rules back. You had to become a Jew now. You had to be circumcised as a Gentile. You had to do this and you had to do this and you had to keep all the prayer times and you had to, you had to tithe and you had to do all of this stuff. And they keep piling the rules back on when the simplicity and the message of the gospel is you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ alone, not by any works of the flesh. So they're getting this confused and it's creating real problems. They're basically saying you got to become one of us if you want to be one of us, not just put your faith in Jesus Christ. We had this situation. um, We have a teenager in our home now. This teenager came to live with us a couple of months ago, and uh, we are super happy that she's a part of our family. 
But for those of you that may not know this, we 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 are that family, are that family <laughs> where all of our names start with the same letter. Listen, we didn't do it on purpose. That's the kind of thing that I would normally really like despise. It's super corny, and that's not who I want to be. Uh, but we started with naming our first son after me. That made sense. We wanted to keep the family names going. So he's he's J- JD, Jonathan Douglas, like me. And then, then the second son, he came along uh, quickly, quickly after the first. And we were about to launch a campus of the church that we were at at that time. We're like, so we're launching two babies, <laughs> uh, one in our family and one in our church family. And we were frankly scared out of our mind. And I was reading through scripture one day and I came across the story of the man, the official who came to Jesus because his daughter was sick and um, came to Jesus asking him to save her. And Jesus goes and he gets distracted on the way. The woman with the bleeding disease reaches out and touches his cloak. And uh, he, uh, uh, he takes time with her. And while that's happening, some people come and say, I'm sorry, don't bother Jesus anymore. Uh, uh, your child is, is dead. And, and Jesus looks at the man and he says, don't be afraid just have faith. And I remember reading that thinking, that's exactly what we read right now. And that guy's name was Jairus. Probably Jairus, if you pronounce it correctly. But we say Jairus. So we named our second son Jairus. So by then it was like, hey, listen, we've got a J. J I'm John, my wife Jess, JD, Jairus. And then we had a, a little girl coming and we were like, well, we can't name her with something else. <laughs> you know, at this point, she's going to feel left out. She's going she's gonna to go through teenage angst going, why does my name start with an M? <laughs> and they're all J's. Exactly Do they, they, they not why love me? <laughs> Sorry about that, Marie. But um, uh, anyway, so uh, but anyway, so we're all J's. That's the point of that story. And uh, so we, we have this new teenager come into our family. We're really excited for her to be there with us. And a few days after we were there, she made a comment. She said, well... I guess I got to get a J name now to be part of the family. And we joked about that a little bit. But the thing is, she doesn't. She doesn't. It, the, 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 the letter that your name starts with has nothing to do with whether you're a part of our family and whether we love you and whether uh, we're, we're together. And so the same thing, I thought that was an interesting analogy. The same thing is true. You don't have to become a Jew in order to be a part of the church and be a part of the family of God. We come into the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone without adding anything else to it. Justification before God does not come by following the rules. It comes by faith in Jesus Christ and what he did. His death on the cross for us, paying for sin, and his resurrection proving power over sin and death. And if we believe in that and trust in that, then we are saved regardless of what we do or do not do in our lives. So I want you to know that when we think about this analogy of the fire pit, and that's what we're going to do through this series, and I hope that by the end, we're, I think that by the time we're done with the series, we're going to get to be able to gather again. I hope that's true. We'll see how things play out. And if so, I'm feeling a bonfire coming at some point, okay? I think we should cap this thing off with a bonfire if we can get away with it and not get charged with a misdemeanor. All right, but the point of the, the we're gonna do it, use this as an analogy as we go through this entire series. And I want you to know what the fire is because that's at the middle. The fire we sit around is the fire of faith. We sit around the fire of faith, not Religion. You see, religion 
is justification or being right before a deity based on what you do, your actions, your practices, your habits. That is not what Christianity is. Christianity centers around the the message, the singular message, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, he died for our sins on the cross, and he rose again on the third day. And it is faith in that that puts us around the fire together. And we have to remember that, that the reason that we gather and the reason that we have unity, the reason that we have singularity and oneness together is because we believe that simple message. Everything else we can talk about, Everything else is a matter of doctrine, is a matter of practice, is a matter of whatever lifestyle. We can talk about all of that. But what brings us together as the church is the good news that Jesus died for us and he rose again, which is why Paul began this letter by saying, here's where our hope comes from. This is what delivers us from this evil world, Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, not whether you follow this rule or that rule beforehand. He really digs into them. All right, now in chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Since just a hair of sarcasm, all right, this a little bit of uh, flippancy in the way he says this, I suppose. This only I want to learn from you. Just tell me this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you receive the Spirit of God? Was it by what you did or did you receive it by faith in Jesus? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? This is not about the rules. And listen, those of you that are watching this, you might have been told otherwise. Or or it may have been demonstrated to you otherwise by churches. You may have felt like because you lived a particular way, you couldn't come to Jesus. Or because you looked a certain way, like because you dressed down instead of dressing up or because you had tattoos and your skin wasn't clear of them uh, that you because you talked a certain way or because you were of a particular political party or because you lived in a particular neighborhood that you weren't going to be accepted by Jesus that's not that is not what's going on you might not have been accepted by a christian because of that you might not have been accepted by a church because of that but it certainly never kept you from being accepted by Jesus. Jesus, when he was here and he was doing his ministry, found the people that were most ostracized by society to spend time with, to show them that they were valuable, that he loved them, and that he would save them in the same way he would save someone who lived all to the T's, which isn't even possible. All right, so you may have been told that you had to do a certain thing before you got to Jesus, or you needed to clean up certain things about your life before you you got to Jesus. It is not true. And you, by the way, you don't need to do any of those things either before you become a part of our church. I want you to know that. Now, if you're going to grow into a leader, there are expectations we have of leaders. If there's things like that, but you can, anybody can be a part of our church. Anybody can come to Jesus Christ, regardless of any of that stuff. Because none of that ultimately even matters. It is faith in Jesus Christ that matters. And I want you to know that today you can say, Jesus, I believe in you and I trust you for salvation. And you don't have to do a single thing before you make that decision, except believe. I love to say and to think that the only prerequisite for salvation is the humility to recognize that you need it. That's it. That's all you need to come to Jesus is to recognize that you're not God and that you need a Savior and Jesus is it. And believe in him. 
and trust him for that. These people are coming into the churches in Galatia and they're telling them otherwise. They're saying you have to basically become a Jew before you can accept Jesus. And it's not true. And Paul's got to set the record straight. And you might wonder, why would they even do that? I mean, I guess you can, put your, you can put yourself in their head and realize they've got all this history and they don't want to let go of it. And they're thinking, well, goodness sakes, if, if I've had to do this my entire life, why do they get to just waltz in and, and, and not have to do any of this stuff? I mean, I've, I've spent my entire life keeping the law. And these Gentiles, these Gauls, they can just come in and they can, they can just be a part of this without going through all the hoops and jumping through all the hoops that I had to jump through? Yeah, that's the truth. But they just can't get their head wrapped around it. And so look at what Paul says about it in um, chapter 4, in verse 17. He said, they zealously court you, but for no good. They're getting after you, but their, their motives aren't good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. Essentially, what he's saying is they are putting themselves up on a spiritual pedestal so that you will look up to them and want to be them. See what's happening? This is... This is pride, is what it is. It's legalism, it's pride, it's self-righteousness. If I can elevate myself and point out to you, you're not as high up as I am, then you will look to me and you will want to become like me. So you need to become like me. You need to get up on my level. You need to get up on my spiritual level. And unless you're willing to get up on my spiritual level, I'm sorry, we're not in the same ballgame. That's what's happening. And that could so easily happen today, <laughs> and it does happen today, that I don't want to accept that anybody could come to Jesus because I've worked so hard to, to build purity and to build biblical knowledge and to think that somebody else could come without all of that and that they would get to become a child of God without having to go through all the things that I've gone through in my life. We don't like to accept that, but it's not true. The truth is anybody can come to Jesus it is faith in Jesus alone. I think Paul also has to, to check himself on this. This is legalism. This is legalism. And I'm telling you, Jesus doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. And Paul doesn't like it. And the scripture doesn't like it. I know there are, there are a lot of rules in here. We're going to talk about that in a minute. There's a lot of things in here. But the point of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, is that it's simple. That we have sinned and we have failed God, but God sent his son to die for us on the cross and pay for our sin. And he rose again on the third day. And that by believing in Jesus, we can be forgiven and we can be free. We can become children of God. No prerequisite to that other than belief. Legalism wants to fight so hard against that. Legalism is what is exactly what is happening in this church. It's not only then saying that you can't come to faith in God unless you keep all of these rules, that salvation or justification comes by keeping the rules. But it also, legalism says that we are, by keeping the rules, somehow becoming more justified before God. It is, a, it is an obsession with the rules. It's an obsession with these standards that we see and that we create. And what Paul is going to say to them is that you need to live to a different standard than the rules. A different standard than the rules. This is what he says um, in chapter 6. Because they're trying to keep the law and thinking that by keeping the law that they're justified before God. 6.13 
For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. His point is, even those people that are coming in and saying you need to keep all of these rules, they don't even do it. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So they could take credit. But God forbid, I love Paul's word in here, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. What matters is that we are a new creation in the cross of Christ, that that it is our understanding of what Jesus has done for us and what that does to us. That is what will drive us to the kind of life that we need to live. Not a set of rules that have to be kept. Not a set of minimum standards that we have to try to rise above, but something even higher and better, not the law, but the Spirit. This makes me think of something that he wrote to the church in Corinthian, in Corinth, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, you know, uh, in Galatians, right? He said, circumcision, uncircumcision avails nothing but a new creation. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5, for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. So you can address the people, the exact kind of people he's talking about when when he writes to the Galatians. For, Paul says, if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge this, that one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we now know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul is saying, an obsession with the rules, an obsession with the law, is an obsession with yourself. But an obsession with Jesus is going to cause us to become a new creation filled with the Spirit and driven to the life that God wants us to live. Not out of setting a bar for other people or setting a bar even for ourselves, but listening to the Spirit and doing what He tells us to do. To understand Scripture the way we are supposed to understand it. Life by the Spirit is an obsession with Jesus Life by the law is an obsession with ourselves. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that there are no rules for us? No. No, no, it does not mean that there are no rules for us. And Paul does address that in his letter to the Galatians. It doesn't mean that I can just say the Spirit's telling me to do whatever the Spirit tells me to do. Because the reality is the Spirit is never going to tell me something that's out of accordance with the Scripture. So I always have the Scripture to guide me. And certainly there's plenty of times where Paul says in his letters, do this and don't do that. He sets up rules. Some of them are situational and some of them are universal. But he says, this is what your life is supposed to look like. But it's different 
He's not creating a new law for us. He is showing us how to listen to the Spirit. So Paul addresses that now in chapter uh, chapter 3 of Galatians. Chapter 3, we're just kind of lead in with uh, the first part of 19 and then we'll jump to verse 21. He says, what purpose then does the law serve? It's not useless. It's not gone. We shouldn't trash it. What What do we do with it? 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Basically, Paul's saying, hey, if anyone could have kept the whole law, then God would have just done it that way. <laughs> if, if, we were, if it was possible for us to keep the law, then that would have been the way that we earn righteousness. Jesus wouldn't have had to die. We would just then keep the law. But it's not possible for any of us to do that. And so that's not the way that it happens. 22, but the scripture has confined all under sin. So we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have kept the law. No one ever has. Well, Jesus did, but none of us have ever done it. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So it's not possible, so God made it happen the only way it could, which is Jesus giving his life for us. 23, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. So the law was intended to do a couple different things before Jesus came. A, people were supposed to realize that they couldn't keep it (laughs) and that they failed. And that they needed something more and something better. But it also created guardrails for them to understand the character of God. To understand what was valuable to him. To understand what was inside of his nature and outside of his nature. To understand what was consistent with his will for their lives and inconsistent with his will for their lives. It was keeping them on track. And it was supposed to be designed, or was designed, it just wasn't read this way in every case. So that they would stay on track, would follow and and believe all the things that God had told them. So that when Jesus arrived, they would see him and know who he was. It was supposed to point them toward Jesus and keep them on track as they did. Help them stay on track. Therefore, verse 24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. Teaching them, tutoring them. So that when Jesus showed up, they would see him and know him that we might be justified by faith. So they were never justified by keeping the law. They thought that. They they had that misconception. They were never justified by keeping the law. Keeping the law helped point them towards Jesus, and then they were justified by their faith in the coming Savior and the Messiah. This goes into detail in the book of Hebrews about how that works. So they were looking forward to him. Now, okay, verse 25 But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. We don't need it anymore because we have Jesus in front of us. We can see him. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So, how does this work? What I want to do, one of my favorite things, and I haven't done this in quite some time, I'm going to draw for you, okay? I love doing and you give me a second if you don't mind. Yeah, what are their options? I said that to be courteous. Okay. All right. 
set that up, make sure we have that right. Pen. Can you throw me that pen? I'm not literally throwing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh my word. Oh, yeah. No. I threw that perfectly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. For the record, for the record, that was Marie, and that was an aggressive throw. She wound up. You should have seen her. She wound, she, she, I mean, like this, and it came through. Anyway, okay. That's a violent. This is violent. Yikes. That's not socially distanced. We got to socially distance. All right. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, so I'm going to draw this, and forgive me, this is not going to be a perfect drawing for sure, but it may not even be the perfect representation. This is just helpful for me, okay? To understand that when they started in the, and, and God was forming his people in his nation, uh, they did not have Jesus as we know him. They, didn't, they hadn't seen him. He hadn't walked on earth. He hadn't given his life on the cross. And so they were trying to filter and decipher through everything that God said what he was going to do. Now, God promised from the very beginning when humans were cursed, he promised that there would be one who would uh, crush Satan's head. Right? Satan would bruise his heel, but he would crush Satan's head. So they had this concept of the Messiah that was coming. So God gave them the law, and I'm going to illustrate that with, this is like stone tablets, okay? So imagine the, the Ten Commandments, all right? So God gave them more than that, of course, but that's, you know, that's right at the center, isn't it? We, we all probably know what the Ten Commandments are. So God gave them the Ten Commandments, and what they were supposed to do was to create guardrails that would point them forward, keep them on track, toward Jesus. And I'm going to do the cross, and I'm doing a circle in the middle, because that's the stone, all right? That's, that's the empty tomb. So that we're not just thinking about the cross, we're thinking about the tomb too, all right? So the, the law was designed to point them forward to Jesus, but ultimately they're not justified by the law. They're not justified by the law, they're still justified by their faith in the Savior, in the coming Messiah, all right? So they were pointed forward. So once he's here, we don't then need the law to point us forward to the, to the Messiah, do we? Because we already have the Messiah. We are, we've seen him. We've heard from him. We know him. We've been studying him all year, all right? So we have him. And so then what we have we have guardrails in the scripture of what life looks like and faith looks like and how to honor God and please God and what's within his will. It doesn't justify us. We're justified by the cross. But we are given the Spirit. And what the Spirit is doing, the Spirit in accordance with the Word of God is keeping us on track so we can learn what it means to live like Jesus and to honor Jesus and to please Jesus and to please God because we are now preparing for what's coming next. which is the kingdom of God on earth. So the spirit is pointing, that's a crown. Yeah. Okay. Do I need to make a gem? I'll make a gem. So now the spirit is teaching us and pointing us forward to the kingdom that's coming. I hope that makes sense. It helps me to think about it visually. And as we think about us, this is, Israel, this is the church, and this is, a, this, is, this is part of a longer conversation, but eventually we'll both be there together, okay? 
That's another part of a conversation for another day. But we're, we're moving now in the spirit, in the church, to here. But the fire that we sit around, the thing that we focus on, the thing that we're thankful for, the thing that brings us together is not the law. It's not even the spirit. The fire is the gospel. This is what unites us. We sit around the fire of the gospel. We sit around the fire of faith, not around the fire of religion. So Paul says, chapter 5, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. See, what some people will try to do to us is they will try to take the law and move it here. That's called legalism, and it's not cool. (laughs) We are supposed to be led every single day by the Spirit. Because we know we have been saved by the gospel, we've been saved by Jesus Christ, We listen to the Spirit, we read the Word and let Him teach it to us, and we try every single day to become as much like Jesus Christ as we can, to return to the state that we were originally created to be in, in close fellowship with God and in close fellowship with each other that sin has broken. And so we are striving for holiness, not because there's a set of rules we're trying to keep, but because we are, not, we are not aiming for the lowest common denominator or trying to get above the threshold. We are shooting for the sky. We are aiming for righteousness and for Jesus, not because we believe it's going to save us, but because we are looking forward to the kingdom and the spirit is going to lead us as we focus on Jesus Christ and becoming more and more like him. And I just want to ask you, are you doing that? Are you listening to and asking for the guidance of the Spirit every day? Are you actively trying to become more like Jesus? For some people, that very first step is simply believing in Him with no prerequisites. And then we walk through life trying to become as much like Him, understanding that everybody is starting at that position of belief. So we're helping each other, not standing on platforms and barking at each other. We are helping each other through this. And as we go through the rest of the series, we're going to talk more about how that works, how we participate in it, and what it means for us. All right. So that's the fire that we gather around. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you are who you are. We give you honor and glory because you are the king of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, And we, human beings that you created and had a relationship with, we failed you. We sinned, stepped away from you. All of us have. And despite the the rules that you put in place or the law that you gave for your people, none of us ever kept it. But you knew that we wouldn't and you knew that we couldn't. You wanted to 
to point us toward the better option, the right solution, and that is your son. So you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross, a perfect sacrifice for our sins, and you rose him back to life on the third day. And because of that, we are forgiven. We have faith in it. We believe. I pray there's someone watching this video today that would believe that and say, you know, I've had things that have been holding me back. I thought I, there were certain things I had to do, and I understand now all I have to believe, all I have to do is believe, and I do. And I pray that someone would be saying that and believing that today. We understand that we are not justified by what we do, that we are not made right in front of you by keeping a certain set of rules that we are only justified before you because of Jesus Christ alone. And now as we look at scripture and we listen to the spirit, we ask that you guide us into holiness and righteousness, not so that we will be lifted up, but so that you will be lifted up. Not so that we can lord it over other people, but so that we can help other people come into increasing holiness and righteousness in your name. In the light of the gospel, Lead us and guide us and empower us so that our lives can bring you glory. As we all gather around that fire, I pray that you draw us together as a church. Help us understand how we help each other as we sit around this fire. It's in your name we pray.